Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio. Holistic Health Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Baba Tahuti Wesley Grace, speaking to you live from New York City, Friday evening at 9 p.m., the 2nd of May, 2014. It's really a pleasure again to have you join us this evening. And as always, I begin by paying homage to the One Most High God, our ancestors, my beloved wife and beloved mother, and my children and all of my um, friends and, and family throughout the cyber world and social network community, I give thanks to all of you. Namaste. Again, this evening we will uh, review the fascinating and interesting educational book titled The Healing Wisdom of Africa, authored by Dr. Malodoma Prachis Some. And... Uh, for those of you who may be listening in for the first time and or haven't really been on board with us and as of late, uh, Dr. Maladoma Some is from Burkina Faso, which is formerly known as the Upper Volta in West Africa. And um, Maladoma in his native language means be friends with the stranger. And as a gifted, initiated diviner and medicine man, and shaman of the Dagara tribe, he holds three master's degrees and two doctorates from the Shoban and Brandes. His book of Water and the Spirit, Ritual, Magic, and Initiation in the Life of an African Shaman is a treasured um, uh, book that is um, often and sold around the world. And Maladoma, who conducts intensive workshops with his, um, well, then it was his ex-wife, they are not married anymore, um, 
he finds time to divide his, his time living at home in Oakland in California, Europe, and also other nations of Africa. So uh, through the healing wisdom of Africa, readers come to understand that the life of the uh, indigenous and traditional people is a paradigm for an intimate relationship with the natural world that surrounds us. Uh, last night, we more, more or less got into the introduction of, of his life and how he got initiated um, into the, uh, the Dagara tradition of being a, a shaman, as it were. But at the age of 20, he was uh, uh, taken away from his family, actually before then, but he came back at the age of 20. But he was uh, uh, abducted by the Jesuits uh, priests in his particular uh, uh, community in that area, and they tried to convert him to Christianity and to indoctrinate him with Western um, uh, customs, as it were. And he resisted and escaped and came back to his, uh, his village, but he was found to be unacceptable uh, initially, and then, of course, he had to go through a process of being reinitiated. Um, very fascinating story you would find this to be in terms of somewhat parallel to us, those of us of African descent who live with, throughout the African diaspora, especially those who live in the Western Hemisphere, uh, such as the United States. Um, we were abducted and brought into this country, at least our ancestors, and vicariously, we're still suffering from that uh, that horrific experience uh, in terms of uh, what you might be some classify as post-traumatic slave syndrome. And one of the things that we find in our, in our community is that our youth, uh, especially today, um, I'm an elder at 70 years of age, and uh, I'm very cognizant of the fact that indeed a lot has changed from uh, how things were when I was a youth as opposed to the conditions and the um, customs and mores of the youth of the day. And uh, there's a, a challenge for us to turn things around from being as negative as they have been by uh, a substantial number of youth in our communities because they don't have any mentoring, uh, they don't have any connection with the elders, and of course, uh, in many instances, we have children or youth raising children and not really being qualified. Uh, indeed, we even have those of us who are grandparents who really haven't matured in certain necessary areas to be able to pass down the wisdom, as it were. So uh, we're starting in Chapter 5. I, I, I was spirits just told me and inspired me to turn to this area uh, dealing with mentoring, uh, title actually mentors and the life of youth. Maladoma goes on to state that there are certain things about which young people cannot survive and flourish, and mentoring is one of them. Westerners see ad adolescents as fundamentally naive about life. By contrast, the tribal mentor sees a youth as someone who already contains all of the knowledge that he or she needs, but who must work with an older, more experienced person to remember what they know. A mentor, therefore, is not a teacher in the strict sense of the term, but more or less a guide who shows the way working from a position of respect and affinity, addressing the knowledge within the young person. And the pupil is not an ignorant person in the eye of his or her mentor. The pupil is seen as a storehouse, a repository of something the mentor is quite familiar with and very interested in, and something the mentor himself has and knows very well. The mentor perceives a presence knocking at a door within the pupil and accepts the task of finding or becoming the key that opens the door. And there, there develops a relationship of trust between the mentor 
and the pupil, motivated by love and without which success cannot be, uh, success would be unlikely. And we come to what Maldomer describes as awakening the genius within the youth. And he states that mentoring is aimed at increasing security, clarity, and maturity in the young person. It seeks to develop the genius within a young person so that the youth can arrive at his or her destination. And the sharing of one's gifts within the community is the main objective. He goes on to state that in Greek mythology, for example, Athena plays the role of a mentor in showing Odysseus how to proceed home safely from the Troy, from Troy and protecting Odysseus' young son, Telemachus, on his journey in search of his father. The maturation that follows shows that young Telemachus wants to grow. And similarly, in similar fashion in Africa, the journey of a young person through adolescence is taken with the help of a mentor so that the young person may grow into the mature adult who can live out his or her purpose in the community, given a one's own genius and receiving in turn the help of others. At the core of mentoring is the understanding that the genius must be invited out of a person. People carry to this world something important that they must deliver, and mentors help to deliver that genius to the community. To see the genius in a young person is to give it the fertile ground required for it to burst forth and blossom. For it is not enough to be born into this world loaded with such a beauty. The newborn must be assisted and given birth to the genius that he is born with. And failure to do so kills that genius along with the person carrying it. The community responsible for the death of an inner genius is like an assassin. The community that is able to receive the person's genius gives birth to the youth, to the adult, who is able to contribute his or her healing gifts to that community. The West defines genius as a great intelligence or an exceptional talent. I don't reject that definition, Maladoma states, but it is different from the indigenous definition, which sees Genius is an open line that flows through a person from the other world. It seems to me that limiting the meaning of genius to intelligent or talent displaces it from its real source and privatizes it in the individual. If genius has no grounding in the sacred, then it becomes easy for the community to ignore it if it, is, if it chooses. In the traditional context, the community does not have a choice. The community is obligated to awaken the newcomer's genius, and the ritual becoming and the ritual welcoming of the newborn into the world is the community's official acceptance of this responsibility. Now, I um, have a website titled drumsofchange.com, and one of the reasons why I created the, the website is Indeed, the name, Drums of Change. The implication is that I believe that having the drum in any household can be the beginning of change for the positive, for a reawakening, as it were. And um, I was inspired by this going back to my teenage years when I first heard the recording of Baba Alatunji's Drums of Passion when I was living in a, um, a boarding school group home called Woodycrest in the Bronx. Um, one of my spiritual home brothers was uh, Abiodun Oyewoli. Those of you who are listening who uh, may be familiar with the last poets, uh, he and I were very close. Um, I, I'm his elder uh, by about six years. And um, back then, of course, I was... Uh, well, say 16, and he was uh, he was 12, 13, maybe you were, were maybe five years apart, possibly four. 
But uh, he looked up to me and other brothers and sisters, and mainly the brothers in my uh, particular group. And um, back then, I was was a jazz enthusiast. And uh, I played clarinet, and then I changed over to trumpet uh, in the high school band. And um, back then, we had a custom of walking uh, to and from school, uh, not just carrying our books, but also carrying albums, usually the newest albums that we had purchased. And we were impressed by those um, albums. We tried to impress each other, as it were, by uh, remembering the the um, the tunes and also the uh, the performers, the members of the band. And then we also tried to emulate and dress the way that they dress, not realizing that they dressed in a fashion that was uh, systemic to uh, the influence of European culture. Those who went to France, to England, Scotland, uh, to the Latino, uh, Latin countries and so forth, they came back um, influenced by their mode of dress and culture. And we vicariously emulated them. where, where am I going with this? Not until one of my counselors, uh, who was also a member, before he became a counselor, he was a member of the group that I lived with and um, by the name of James Blake, also known as Takmir Muhammad. And he was the one that came, uh, when we went to camp, we went to camp every summer, and he presented uh, myself and Abby Adun and some other brothers with this new album he purchased uh, titled Drums of Passion. And when he played that, I can remember uh, hearing uh, uh, rhythms, and it just resonated within my, within my body, within my, my, my spirit, and uh, my consciousness. And I just became so enamored with this album and this recording, and reading the liner notes that uh, Baba Tunji was from Nigeria, and that he was introducing the African rhythms to those of us in the African diaspora, particularly here in the United States. And that was the beginning of me really connecting with my roots as an African. And we had discussions about this recording, and then uh, we didn't have drums back then, you know, djembes or any type of African drum. We would pick up garbage cans and pots and pans and, and beat on wood logs and what have you and, and just try to learn the rhythms. But within that process, we became uh, closer. We became, uh, we started to really develop an affection for one another, for one, each other as brothers and sisters. And we were part of a, a transition, part of a spiritual uh, revolution, as it were, that was happening, that began to happen then, and juxtaposed with the jazz uh, roots and that innovative spirit of energy and music, uh, on top of that, now we're dealing with African rhythms. And that provided a certain groundedness for us to make a connection, um, more so than not with our elders, with our family, our parents, our siblings. And not to digress any further, um, we started developing a respect for community. We didn't know then at that time that that was what was happening. So that allowed us also to give birth to what Maladoma talks about in terms of the relationships of healing the community and mentoring the youth and bringing out the genius, as it were, so one of us became very well known uh, very shortly after leaving, uh, and that was Brother Abby Adun when they formed the, um, the, the Last Poets, and that was to celebrate the life of El Haus Malik Shabazz, El Shabazz, Malcolm X, where they composed poems to celebrate his life. And of course, back then you had the Black Panthers that, that were coming to fore, and then one of the original last poets, matter of fact, Dunes, one of his good friends, and uh, the father, godfather of one of his sons, Felipe Luciano, uh, former president of the Young Lords in Harlem, in Spanish Harlem, became uh, a noted uh, uh, poet, 
and leader. And, you know, I just felt, felt so blessed to be in that mix. And I realize now why I, you know, the ancestors and spirits decided that in this incarnation that I would have that particular circle and that experience. Uh, some people would say, my God, you, you had to leave home and be in a group home and a boarding school. But one has to understand that indeed um, the Most High has the most divine plans in store for us. Little do we know that when a door closes that another one opens, that when you see the darkness, then indeed uh, the new day will come with bright, uh, with brightness and light. And that was what we experienced. We had to go through a darkness in terms of our initial early childhood of experiences, but for us to become enlightened. And we had to go through that pressure. How do you make a diamond? By it going through tremendous pressure, as it were, for years and years and decades and, and, and eons and eons, of course. So the genius is the expression of the sacred in the individual. And then the individual's link to the other world is a spiritual, rabbinical cord that, that cannot be cut until its owner is fully awakened into his or her gift. And just as our rabbinical cord cannot be cut until we are finally in this side of reality, we must nurture and maintain the genius until its complete birth in this world. To cut outright is to kill. I stress the role, Maladoma says, of community because a mentor, a mentor distinct from the community is very hard to conceive of the indigenous world. The point is that there is no delivering something to a destination where there is nobody to receive it. So the very purpose of mentoring is twofold. One is to recognize and awaken. The other is to facilitate the delivery of the genius to the community. And in a culture where community matters more than anything, mentoring becomes an essential social responsibility. People assume that a mentor will come forward who is appropriate for the particular youth in question because genius is sacred, originating not in this world but of another. It must be approached rit ritualistically, that is, symbolically, with respect and even reverence. Though we will discuss the subject of ritual in depth later in this book, he states, it is useful to point out now that genius understands the language of ritual better than any other language. Through ritual, genius feels invited to come out into this world. Ritual makes the hosts of genius feel recognized because ritual shows that the people inviting genius to come forth to speak its language and therefore must mean well. Making the host feel welcome and recognized is necessary because the birth of genius is an intense emotional event in which the, poop, the pupil is vulnerable. Indigenous people tend to approach emotion and sometimes even pain as a sacred thing because they think it means that something in the person is moving out in order to be let in order to let something else come in. The tension between the incoming and outgoing energies produces pain. So the pain involved in bringing genius to birth evokes ritual. The stretching of the body's physiology, physiological aspect out of its normal parameters, which is what it allows the shift to happen, is supported through ritual as a serious and sacred thing. And that brings to mind again the drum. You can go to my website and I explain why I decided to create this website, um, emphasizing that every family of African descent should have a drum if not several drums in the household, and a designated drummer, to perform drumming ritual, drumming rhythms, at the birth of a child, at the beginning of that sequence on this earth, and then, of course, at the transition of one who leaves this earth, there should be a designated drummer to, serve, to celebrate the going home celebration and any significant event that happens during that period of birth and transition. Wedding ceremonies, birthdays, 
uh, graduations, any type of special event and acknowledgement of this life's journey should have a drum present, a drummer present, and being part of that ritual of celebration. And then, of course, the elders in the community who have a connection with the drum, who have a connection with Mother Africa, who have the knowledge to share in their mentoring and teaching, can do this around the drum. Because when you hear the drum, you're forced to stop whatever you're doing and to become synchronized with the rhythm, with the energy, with the beat of the drum, which brings you into a state of Sankofa, going back to from whence we came. So at my website, we have a drum store. Please feel free to go to that, that section of drumsofchange.com. And you can purchase drums priced reasonably at $29 on up, including shipping and handling, many of them. And these are djembe drums and other, other types of styles of drumming and other instruments, by the way, and accessories. And uh, we also have a bookstore. You can purchase the book that I'm reading from and reviewing, The Healing Wisdom of Africa and Out of, uh, of Water and Spirit by Dr. Maladome Somme. Those books and all the books that I review can be purchased at my site. So I encourage you indeed to spread the word. And may this spring going into the summer be a, a energy that is accelerated and the word is spread that it becomes a compulsion for us to have a drum in our home and to have a designated drummer to give lessons to that young boy or girl to that young adult or elder to learn how to play the drum. And if you don't have even formal training, because it's all about intent, you can just take the drum in between your legs, between your arms, and just beat on the drum and have a rhythm that exudes from your spirit, from your soul. And that would suffice just to start. So I just thank you so much for tuning in. But before we go into break, I definitely like to just acknowledge my wife just walked into the studio, and I'd like for her to just greet us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Alafia, everyone, thank you for tuning in to the show. And I, I just came in to the studio when Baba was talking about the drum. And uh, I'd like to just give you my personal experience about the drum, because I didn't always know about the power of the drum. Um, I grew up in New York City, and years ago, and I'm, I'm going back now over 40 years ago, all right, with this brief story. Uh, my, um, I was in high school, and uh, my friends and I used to like to go to Washington Square Park. And in Washington Square Park, there were always men playing the drum. And I didn't know that much about it. And I was learning about cultural things um, because at that time, one of my best friends lived down the street from a place that was called the East. It's no longer there. But we used to visit and learn, and, you know, it was something new to me, the culture. I, I didn't know that because I was raised in a Christian home. So things like djembe drums and, and speaking in Swahili and things like that, I didn't know anything about those things. And every time we would go to the park, somebody would be drumming. And it just seemed like even without knowing what it was all about, we would always gravitate over towards the drummers, and there would always be a crowd near the drummers. And we didn't know why. We just know that we loved it. We liked the way it sounded. We liked how we felt being in that environment. And as far as the whys, we didn't know. We didn't analyze it that way. We were high school kids, all right? And, uh, you know, we were learning. We were being introduced to the culture. And uh, I'm just telling you that story just to um, 
just to emphasize the power of the drum. You don't even know, you know, we didn't even know what it was about, but we knew we wanted some of that. We wanted to be around it. We wanted to be there. And, there, you know, again, there were many other people. It wasn't just myself and my friends from school. There was always a crowd around the drummers, and I find that true. Now, just fast-forwarding to 2014, that's still true today, not just for me, but for many people. You may go somewhere and see a drummer, and people just tend to gravitate towards it. So what does that tell you? The power of the drum. It has a spiritual resonance within us. It's within our DNA, and it's just something that we can just never get over. And so when Baba talks about the vision of having a designated drummer in each household and having, uh, having an African drum in each household, and there's a reason it's the African drum, not just any drum, because Baba plays the... Um, I, I don't know what you call them, the steel drums or the, the, the jazz traps trap drums. He plays those too, but it's, it's a different effect. It's not the same. That's why we're specifically talking about an African drum. And it's not an African drum, an indigenous drum. I love the Native American drums as well. It gives you that same feeling, mm, but yeah. to me, the African drum is the one. Absolutely. The African drum is the one. Mm. And I support that vision because the drum is healing. I find that, it's, say if I have a headache, I'm not really able to tolerate the jazz drums. Now, let's say I have that same headache and somebody's playing a djembe. You know, that actually makes me feel better. There's power in the drums. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to mention that. And, and those are things that, as listeners, you can observe that yourself. Absolutely. So if you have a headache or you're feeling under the weather for whatever reason and somebody's playing the, um, the jazz track, that, you know, it could be like, oh, my God, why don't they stop playing? Oh, my God. But you can listen to the African drums, the djembe drums, different types of African drums, and it's actually soothing. There's a reason that Dr. Maladoma Somme wrote the book, The Healing Wisdom of Africa. There's a lot of wisdom and a lot of healing in those pages, and along with um, supporting Baba's vision of having an African drum in each household, I also suggest go to Baba's website, I believe, in his online bookstore. He has the book, The Healing Wisdom of Africa, yes. and you can pick that book up, too. Those are two necessary elements for a healthy home. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, thank you for, you know, for your time and for listening. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I must add also that uh, on my, in the archives of Grassroots Holistic Health, I did a show, a couple of shows, on the, the healing drum. Yes. By uh, Yaya Diallo and Brother Mitchell Hall. Yes. So if you can't get to the book right away, you can always go to um, the website at Blog Talk Radio. And the um, Grassroots Holistic Health is the uh, the title of my page, and you can access the, the archives. But I really appreciate that. That was a very interesting um, uh, anecdote that you shared uh, with us. Um, about the drum hunt. That, yes, that I don't know if I ever told you that. No, you never told yeah, me My that. friends and I, Very we used to go to Washington Square Park, uh -huh. the West 4th Street, and we used to enjoy that atmosphere. And there used to be um, different stores such as Azuma. Azuma's gone. I remember used to Azuma. sell incense mm -hmm. and... Uh, things made out of uh, like bamboo furniture and different yeah. artifacts and things. And we used to love that energy and love that environment. Mm -hmm. Why? We didn't know. All we knew was that being in that environment, we felt good. Mm -hmm. This is real. Absolutely. It's real. Absolutely. We felt good. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, um, my wife also plays the drums. She plays a number of instruments and including the violin and guitar and piano. And um, so we have music in our homes, and that's something that uh, I think that those of you, uh, most of you, I'm sure, recognize that having uh, instruments in the house and having musicians and playing music, if not listening to it, just does wonders for the household, for the home. Very therapeutic and very spiritually uplifting. And the book, The Healing Drum, that you mentioned, mm -hmm. I, I know you had reviewed that, 
you know, and uh, I would I would recommend that people um, get a copy, grab a copy of that book also. Uh, the, the Healing Wisdom of Africa by Maladoma Solmay, that's, you know, that's very, very powerful. And if you combine those two books, it's not a lot, because a lot of people, you know, they don't want to read, or, you know, you might be able to get it on Kindle, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm still for, I'm still of the mindset, get a good book, curl up with your family. You could even read it aloud. Sometimes couples read to each other. They alternate. They might read two or three pages to each other aloud and switch and let the other person in the couple read. There's all sorts of ways to get your reading in. Mm-hmm. Um, if you commute, you could read mm-hmm. on the subway or the, um, you know, the metro north, you know, however, however your commute is. You know, obviously you can't read if you're driving, okay? But, you know, if you commute by, you know, helicopter or anything where you're a passenger. Right. Okay, any means where you're a passenger. The ferry, I love taking the Staten Island ferry and just relax for that 25 minutes or so and you can get reading in. Mm-hmm. Find creative ways to read because a lot of people say, oh, I don't read books. I don't have time for all of that. But you can make time. Absolutely. You can cut out something out of your daily schedule that might be nonproductive, such as gossip. But I know none of the listeners here, you know, partake in <laughs> But I'm just saying you can cut out a lot of things, spending that hour and a half on the yeah. phone with the girlfriends talking about everybody. And, but, you know, again, nobody in this listening audience does that. I'm just Listen. using that as an example, yeah, yeah. okay? <laughs> but you can cut out something nonproductive out of your day. And you can find that you have at least 30 minutes, probably more, mm-hmm. in your day to read. So grab a good book, everybody. Healing Wisdom of Africa, uh, The Healing Drum by Yaya Diallo. There's so much that we can talk about, but thanks for listening. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. Well, at this point, we're going to take a, uh, a brief break, and uh, we'll be back with you momentarily. And we will continue uh, with... Uh, Mentoring Our Youth segment, and the next one we're going to be dealing with is the concept of mentoring in the village. Please stay tuned. That's 
a gift in the process of being delivered to the whole village. The village waited with patience while the girl suffered from her gift, rather than judge her spiritually or emotionally unbalanced. People's patience was motivated by their desire not only to know what genus she carried, but their desire also for wisdom in determining who should mentor her. And in this little girl's case, her special talent is called geniru, that is, a widened eyesight. Maladoma goes on to state that he learned how to awaken the art of divination that lay within himself through working side by side with his mentor, or as we call it in the village, his madaba. At first, when his mentor came to him, he states, I had no clue about what was happening. I initially thought that Uncle Guso was simply examining me. Since every young person must be examined by a clairvoyant for early detection of any malfunction in their psyche, in the traditional examination, the client or patient sits facing the diviner who then examines his tools. An extensive array of mundane objects, including shells, bones, stones, and metals. And while he examines the tools, he extracts from them, in an esoteric or mystical way, information pertinent to the client. Because at the time, he had just come out of a formal Western school where teacher and student had a clear-cut relationship, the teacher acting clearly as the authority and the student as the ignorant. I was under the impression that if Gusso was examining me, then he probably was trying to teach me something. Which brings to mind that my wife, who is a former teacher, actually she's a current teacher as well, you never stop teaching, but she formerly taught within the New York edu educational community and also within the private sector of educational institutions. And I also taught uh, more so counseling than teaching, but I, I taught in uh, a, a university um, basic skills in terms of uh, transactional, based on transactional analysis and, and also interpersonal skills and, and then act as a counselor between the uh, uh, remedial education of potential uh, students who had the potential of getting a scholarship within a particular university that I was employed at. And then I also did counseling in a youth center and directed a youth center uh, for a brief period for about a year and a half to two years. And uh, I saw that to say that uh, the youth that I interacted with, uh, for the most part, it was a unique experience that now that I read and reread this section of Maladoma's book, that they were like the youth in the village of Maladoma's were um, holding a certain level of genius within themselves that uh, we were not equipped at the time or didn't have the facilities or the direction to facilitate that genius that laid dormant and to give it birth. We were basically babysitting at, 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 at times or dealing with crises intervention or dealing with trying to incorporate a certain amount of behavior that was more balanced than imbalanced so that they could go through the day-to-day -day requirements of learning and not learning how to deal with the, uh, the text uh, of information that was presented to them, learning how to deal with interpersonal skills. Um, my wife, her, her age group of students that she taught, uh, quite a few times uh, she was telling me that they had behavior upon problems that were so uh, outrageous and so unmanageable that she had to bribe them at times. And one of the things that she used, and I inadvertently I remember, she used actually, she had a drum in the classroom, and she would tell them that they couldn't play the drum if they didn't behave. And they were in such a state that they recognized that when the drum was played or when they played the drum or heard it, that it did something to them that was very positive. Thus, I would project, uh, surmise that it allowed them to be in touch with their genius, with their inner core in terms of being in touch with their purpose for being alive. So uh, there's something to say about this in terms of how we have to consider going back to traditions, going back to rituals that prove to be uh, beneficial 
to our ancestors, those who lived in Africa before they, they came here or brought here uh, as uh, 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 illegal uh, servants of, of the ruling class at the time, those from Europe, those who saw fit to be inhumane in terms of how they treated us, our ancestors, to serve with uh, free labor. And one of the first things that was taken from us, uh -huh, yes indeed, was the drum. Because they felt that we used it as a way of communicating with one another in terms of gaining our freedom or in terms of maintaining our sense of unity. But also, we know that those drums were used to communicate on the other side in the other world with our ancestors, with our deities, with our guardians, with our angels. And again, knowing that the children remember from whence they came more so than those of us who are adults and indeed elders for the most part, they have a connection with the ancestors. They have a connection with the angels that we do not have. If we get them before it is drawn out of them, uh, they are trained to not have that connection where they become contaminated but they become uh, tarnished, with the, if you will, with uh, the mundane uh, consciousness, the mundane reality, which does not include dealing with the unseen, which not, does not include dealing with spirit, as it were, pure on a pure level. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I choose books like this, such as The Healing Wisdom of Africa, to share with those of you who haven't read this book, or to create dialogue so that there can be a conversation and for us to share our thoughts, to share our take on this profound information. Now, Manodoma goes on to state that as he first spoke to me about divination, he's talking about his uh, mentor, he states that I wondered what use it could be to me to learn about such rituals. I assumed along with most, most other people in my village, that divining was out of the question for someone who knew how to read and write. Diviners were reluctant to examine the literate people because they assumed that the literate person would not cooperate with an esoteric prescription, namely a ritual intended to heal a problem. They were also reluctant to work with literate people because it was assumed that certain kinds of knowledge don't mix with others. It was important not to allow two systems to radic to, so radically opposed to come together because it was feared that the person whom they mix would, be, would not be able to manage them. Literacy represents a kind of clairvoyant, clairvoyant knowledge that diviners think does not agree with magical knowledge. And their approach may be a reaction to colonialism for the brutality perpetuated on indigenous people under the colonial rule came from literate people. So it is easy for indigenous diviners to conclude that literacy is a violent knowledge bent on attacking any non-literate non knowledge. Rousseau, his mentor, however, was not the kind of person willing to enter into debate about what his purpose should be. As he found out later on, Maladoma states, people like him simply do what they do, have to do, and have the discussion after they finish. And this means that non-literate mentors share or teach by action, not by dissection, dissection and instruction. They are reluctant to prove why anything works and do not want to talk about what they practice. Baladova goes on to state that he has a sense that in the West, discussion and debate are very important, especially in the context of education. And this is another area where the West differs from the indigenous world. Indigenous people would prefer to preserve in its naked form the material encountered in one's experience. Experience to indigenous people looks like a different kind of discourse to parallels but does not intersect the verbal. The more intense an experience, the more likely indigenous people are to leave it in the language in which it came rather than to discuss and dissect it with words. 
It is almost as if discussing diminishes what is being discussed. Villagers feel that words conquer experience, dislodging experience from its rightful place of power. So unless powerful experiences and ideas are addressed poetically or with proverbs, people don't want to take the risk of losing in a fog of words what they have struggled so hard to acquire. Day after day, I would sit next to Gusso, the diviner, while he consulted with people, interpreting the situations of each person by using symbols as a writing in a traditional and mystical language. This language was encoded in cowrie shells, old bones, worn-out pieces of metals, stones or different shapes and sizes, and once in a while he would ask for my help, pointing to a symbol of divination and pretending he did not have a full grasp of its meanings. Caught always by surprise, I would mutter something, and in response he would elaborate upon my point, making no contradictory statement. I assumed that the man was usually just being kind, although sometimes, in looking steadily at the symbolism, I could logically trace and translate circumstances, though I had no uh, had to convince myself that I was not making things up. Maldoma goes on to state that I remember, for example, this woman who bought her sick daughter for divination, and Gusso looked at his reading materials, picked up a little stone and a piece of metal, and put them on the side. Then he looked again for a while and asked me to pick something up. And my attention was on a little talisman that sat in the middle of a V-shaped piece of wood. And Gusso said, therefore, the medicine should be a pearl to hang on the child's ankle, right? I did not know what to say, but I must have said yes. Gusso went on to explain that the stone that appeared was a symbol of the child's connection with an ancestor who is her protector. The symbol of the ancestor had to be worn by the child or she wouldn't survive. He put the stone down and picked up a piece of metal in his hand, explaining that this was the link. What link, I asked? The link between the child and her protector in the world of the ancestors, he replied. And Maradoma goes on to state that I wanted to ask why and how, but I checked myself. I knew he would not answer. The real challenge came when he would suspend a reading process midway and ask me to take over because he had to intend to something else. And he, saw my, he said, I saw myself mechanically executing his order, cloaked with a terrifying feeling of failure as I embarked on this random journey to fish out information from this utterly bizarre book. I never remembered how I carried on from where he left off, nor did he ask me how it went when he returned long after the end of the session. I may have become used to doing it alone without being reprimanded for mistakes or scolded for indulging in false statements. Whatever happened, I became gradually aware that I knew what he knew and that his role with me was not based on the fact that he was my uncle, but my mentor. Mentoring is a role that is assumed not strictly by age, but by ability and experience. Russo is an old man in his 70s, an elder by the Garrett standards, but most parents than grandparents are mentors. But more parents than grandparents are mentors. It is not surprising to find mentors aged 25 to 30 years if the need and the knowledge are present. And similarly, the people mentioned are mentored cover a wide range of ages, but almost always the pupil is younger than the mentor, if not by age, at least with respect to the knowledge being exchanged in that relationship. And this is because in indigenous Africa, knowing means becoming old. To say that someone is old is to say that this person knows something and has experienced something valuable. And furthermore, the mature self is hardened in the field of experience by awareness. And in contrast, the world youth, the word youth refers not just to age, but also to the absence of awareness. The way villages are structured leaves no room for a young person to escape having a mentor. The cohesiveness 
and identity of a village require this kind of caretaking. Unlike loosely formed modern communities where each person is often preoccupied by his or her own affairs, village life requires that most things be done collectively because people are very tightly connected. Tight connection forces friction. In turn, friction among people depends, deepens their sense of belonging, and people bound by community are sure at some point to get on one another's nerves. And this is not considered a bad thing, but rather a part of the natural human experience. So we have here myself and my wife living here in New York City in the United States of that um, on a Friday evening, we have many of our youth who are engaging in ceremonies and in ritual, which is counter to what I just shared with you from the healing wisdom of Africa. And that being engaging in not being mentored by those who have their interests in mind, their better interests in mind in terms of re releasing the genius, pulling forth, giving birth to the genius that lays dormant within their psyche, within the, the essence of their soul, but rather contaminating, sabotaging, hindering the release of that genius through the use of alcohol and other drugs, through the use of sex being loosely used and exchanged in terms of the interaction of man and woman, young men and women, that contaminates them, that hinders their growth, that hinders the release of their, of their genius. By listening to music, especially the music that has words that are misogynist in nature, that are dealing with lower self-orientation, self-deparation, lower self-esteem, sustaining that mode of consciousness. And this is why we have the problem within our communities, especially with the youth, because they don't have adequate mentoring. Even those who have the mentoring, uh, are fortunate to be mentored, is usually based on a level, a concept of modernity, of materialism, of capitalism. Nothing wrong with that, with capitalism, with making money and, and earning money, but it has to be juxtaposed with a spiritual essence as well that is beneficial, especially to our youth, to the family and to the village. So again, I thank you for tuning in this evening. We will end at this point. Um, this next section that we will continue this tomorrow evening will be dealing with conflict with mentors. And I look forward to you revisiting us again this evening, I mean tomorrow evening, and sharing the word. And again, I um, end as we begin by paying homage to the one most high God, to our ancestors, to my family, to my beloved wife, and mother, all of my siblings, my daughter and her family, those of you throughout the cyber world and social network community, my family and friends, I thank you for tuning in. Namaste, alafia, hetepu, shalom, assalamu alaikum, all my relations, peace and love to all of you, and have a blessed and joyful evening. Stay tuned until we meet again tomorrow evening. Thank you.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.